This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed that the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was very little, we lived in an upstairs flat that we rented in a working-class neighborhood of Chicago. My uncle, my dad's brother by contrast, had a place in what was then the country. It was just a few acres, but it had a barn and some chickens you could feed. It was our great getaway from the city. I loved to be there with my cousins and the farm, but for me, getting there was a problem. Since we had no car, we had to take the train. The train in those days was a huge behemoth of a black steam engine. As we stood on the platform waiting for it, it came roaring down the track, belching smoke and hissing steam. The noise seemed deafening, and I was terrified. Terrified, I clung to my father's leg for dear life. And then one day my dad came up with an idea to help me. He crouched down, put his arms around me and said, Jimmy, and by the way, we don't say Jimmy anymore. (laughs) Jimmy, when the train comes in, you should shout as loud as you possibly can and see if you can make more noise than that train. So I did. I shouted as loud as I could, and in my five-year-old mind, I had outshouted the train, and I was never afraid again. My father had been there for me with just the right word. It is only in Mark's account of the baptism of Jesus that the voice from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased Only in Mark's account of this is this word revealed to Jesus alone. 
In the other Gospels, the theophany is a public disclosure. In Mark's account, it is a personal word from the Father to the Son and a bestowal of the Holy Spirit. It must have been very important to Jesus personally. He was soon to be sent by the Spirit into the wilderness to face 40 days of temptation by Satan. Like my father on that long-ago train platform, Jesus' father was there with just the right word. Just the right word to forestall the terrors of the wilderness which Jesus must face as a man. Not just as the divine son, but as a man of flesh and blood with all the emotions and reactions to temptation and adversity that all human beings feel. Well, his father's word must have been very important to him. But perhaps more daunting, even than the temptations, the coming trial in the wilderness, was the burdensome truth lurking in Jesus' baptism by John. The fact that Jesus submitted to John's baptism has sometimes caused consternation among the faithful. Why should Jesus, whom we believe to be without sin, undergo a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? Mark is silent on the matter. However, in Matthew's account, the problem is recognized. John, we read there, does not want to baptize Jesus. He doesn't think it's appropriate. But Jesus says, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. In Matthew, we discover that Jesus' baptism by John is a symbol of solidarity with all people. It reveals his coming work of salvation. A baptism of repentance, after all, is appropriate for one who bears the sins of humankind as his own and will bear them all the way to the cross. The magnitude of this reality is overwhelming and beyond thought. Like that behemoth of a train roaring down at me, a tiny child, the whole weight, the whole weight of human sin and brokenness was bearing down on Jesus. The Father and the Spirit were there with him, however. Jesus' destiny is not just the destiny of Jesus, the man. It is the destiny of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Our sin, our brokenness, and our death are being absorbed in all its pain into the very heart of the divine life. As the Spirit came to Jesus, along with the blessing of the Father, so in our baptism, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Spirit is ours as well. And we are baptized into Christ. Paul makes it clear in his letter to the Romans, we have been buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him 
in a resurrection like his. We are one with Christ in baptism, soaked in the grace of divine forgiveness and alive in the Spirit. In the baptism of Jesus, he is revealed as the beloved one, the Son of God. In our baptism, we too hear the voice of God saying, You are my beloved. Sisters and brothers of Jesus, the Christ, sons and daughters of the Father, shaped by the Creator Spirit. In the baptism of Jesus, he is revealed as the Beloved One, the Son of God. In our baptism, we too hear the voice of God saying, You are my Beloved. In the baptism of Jesus is the beginning of his earthly ministry, a beginning in the wilderness with the test of temptations. Our baptism is also the beginning of our ministries. In baptism we are ordained to the ministry of the whole people of God. As Jesus was sent by the Spirit into the wilderness, so we are sent into the wilderness of this world with all its temptations to abandon being Christ's people. The first temptation, perhaps, is the failure to love ourselves. Now, this may seem strange at first glance, since we think of self-love as self-centeredness or perhaps even as selfishness, a kind of I'm number one type attitude. Most people, we might think, hardly fail at self-centeredness. But for many, the failure to love oneself is often a lack of self-worth. We feel we don't measure up to God's standards or even, even the standards of the most gifted people around us. In Albert Camus' book, The Fall, the main character utters these words, God is not needed to create guilt or to punish. Our fellow men suffice aided by ourselves. It is hard to love others as Christ commands if we do not love ourselves, if we forget the infinite worth bestowed upon us as created in God's image, if we forget the blessing of our baptism, you are my beloved, fretting over our own sins and limitations and forgetting God's grace in our life simply becomes a negative form of self-centeredness so absorbed in our own shortcomings that there is little room left for God's call to serve and love others. Luther said we should start each day by remembering our baptism. Good advice for meeting the trials of the wilderness that can rob you of your self-esteem. A second great temptation is to quit. As life extends itself past youth into middle age and beyond, even the dreams and plans we have realized can lose their luster and begin to feel like a burden. We grow weary of a job that no longer satisfies. We grow weary of a marriage that no longer seems to have the vitality it once had. We grow weary of caring for our children or our parents. We grow weary of trying to stay healthy and break bad habits when the world's demands seem to deter us from our best resolve. 
We grow weary of a world that continually fails to make peace and serve justice. What's the point, we say, of rallying or, or beseeching your, your elected officials when they only seem concerned with their own power? We grow weary of the forces of greed and self-aggrandizement which always seem to have the last say. And these are everyday concerns that need to be addressed by, part, by our mission, by, the, by our calling. This is our mission field as the whole people of God. And the call is to be faithful in love for your faithfulness in love reflects God's steadfast love. The temptation is to quit and the temptation to quit is powerful and faithfulness often seems more than we can bear. We will stumble but God's grace is always there to pick us up. We need only ask for it and then remember our baptism. The third great temptation is denial. The problem with truth is that it is often disturbing, especially sometimes the truth about ourselves. And as we all know, denial is a way of coping with truths we don't want to hear. There are garden varieties of personal denial. I don't really have a drinking problem. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. Then there are culturally related forms of denial. I'm not a racist. I'm not a sexist. I'm not homophobic. I'm not a snob. These statements, when people make them, are usually or frequently belied in the eyes of others by the behavior and attitudes displayed. But the strength of denial is formidable. And for many, it's not blatant denial. It's just, well... Let's change the subject. Let's not speak of it. The intriguing thing about denial is that it presupposes that we are in control, that somehow we control our lives. Denial becomes necessary then, for to admit the truth is to admit that we are not in control. Now, I certainly want to be in favor of working on good habits and seeking to the be the best we can be in matters of life. However, we are not entirely in control. We are limited by our life situations, our finite existence, and our sinful frailties. Embracing that truth and the truth of our shortcomings is liberating because God is there to forgive and renew and empower new strides in our life. We are none of us unique in our shortcomings, but God is unique in grace without limit and qualification. God says, face your truths, hard as they are, for I am with you in all that you are and in all that you are not. You are mine, and I am not done with you yet. These great temptations are real for all of us in our wilderness. You don't need me to add specifics of the temptations you find most problematic. And of course things do go wrong and troubles and sorrows come and terrible loss assails our faith 
even as the devil assailed the Christ in the wilderness. The evils of the world around us also, unspeakable brutality and unrelieved suffering, make us wonder where God is. The final temptation is to lose faith. So we cling to the gospel like a life raft in the midst of a storm. Life can be too big for us at times. The longer we live, the greater the buildup of challenges to faithfulness. Maybe you feel afraid at times, like that little tyke on a long-ago railway platform, frightened by the huge behemoth of an engine. Maybe the roar of too much life to bear like a huge, unstoppable locomotive is bearing down on you at times. But God, like my father, crouching down to embrace me with just the right word, will crouch down and embrace you as well as he was with Jesus, with just the right word. You are my beloved. Maybe you should take my dad's advice and shout it as loud as you can. God loves me. Amen.